Americans often bemoan the fact that their country is quote-unquote too new in comparison to those of Europe, Africa, or Asia. As such, they complain about a lack of history as attested to by archaeological sites and monuments, which can be found in droves on the aforementioned continents. What many fail to realize, however, is just how ancient the land that now comprises the United States truly is. With several indigenous cultures calling this land home since the Ice Age, it was, in pre-European times, a veritable breeding ground for societies both tribal and complex. Perhaps the most sophisticated of these settlements was the city of Cahokia in what's now southwestern Illinois. Located on the opposite bank of the Mississippi River just across from where St. Louis is today, it was, at its height, a cultural center, the largest north of the great Mayan and Aztec cities of Mexico and Mesoamerica that were flourishing at roughly the same time. Let's head up the river and explore this fascinating society right now on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Today, the site of the former city of Cahokia is a designated United States National Historic Landmark, officially known as the Cahokia Mound State Historic Site. It's so named for the various earthen structures that rise several feet above the ground. In all, there are around 70 of these mounds remaining, each varying in size. Even now, they're impressive to behold, but their history makes them all the more remarkable. Who built them and why? How did this city become the largest pre-Columbian settlement outside of Mexico? Archaeological evidence at the site suggests that the earliest settlement in Cahokia took place in around AD 600. The inhabitants who settled in the area were a part of the Mississippian culture, a Native American society that, at around this time, abandoned tribal, and therefore the nomadic lifestyle they had partaken in for untold millennia, in favor of a more sedentary existence. Establishing themselves on the eastern bank of the Mississippi River, just across from what's now St. Louis, they built a structured society that involved the growing and raising of crops, the making of practical items such as pottery, and the trading of such commodities as wood, shells, and copper. The fact that they established themselves on the banks of America's longest and most important rivers by no means a coincidence. They used the natural waterway for food, namely in the form of fish, travel and trade, fitting canoes, rafts, and other vessels with both manufactured and natural goods to exchange for regional crops and various commodities. As the old saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day, and that certainly rings true for Cahokia. This early settlement betrayed any hint of the vast city it would one day become. From its humble beginnings as a semi-permanent community, it slowly but surely grew over many decades. The famous mounds we see today, for example, were not erected until the 9th century, a full 200 years after its establishment. But then, in the 10th and 11th centuries, it experienced an unprecedented boom in both population and development. But what exactly led to this apex? The answer, historians and scientists have discovered, was an unusually warm period for the United States' North Atlantic region from roughly 950 to about 1250. Known as the Medieval Warming Period, the climates of the northeastern United States as well as the American Midwest were milder and warmer than they are today. Prolonged periods of heavy rain created an environment conducive for growing crops, including what are known as the Three Sisters, that is, corn, beans, and squash, which are believed to have reached the rest of North America from Mesoamerica over several generations of trade and interaction with other tribes. This, according to historian Daniel Richter, led to a, quote, agricultural revolution, unquote, that contributed greatly to Cahokia's meteoric rise. And rise it did, not just in the mounds that took several years to build using only strong woven baskets and human hands, but in a sophisticated layout revolving around those selfsame mounds. Large plazas used for religious ceremonies popped up over successive generations, and the city soon housed a population in the thousands, all of which was connected by a complex network of courtyards and pathways. By the 11th century, Cahokia had become the most important city of the Mississippian culture, and had been elevated to the ranks of a holy pilgrimage site of sorts for worshippers of their original polytheism 
polytheistic faith. From the Midwest to the Southeast, other such settlements emerged at roughly the same time, growing exponentially through trade and accumulated wealth. But Cahokia's strategic location at the confluence of three rivers, the Mississippi, the Missouri, and the Illinois, made it the undisputed cultural, economic, and religious center of the region. Let's take a moment to focus on the city's layout, particularly the mounds for which it's most famous. At present, only about 70 survive, but at Cahokia's height, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 once stood. These weren't just placed haphazardly, but archaeological and scientific studies of the mounds reveal that they are aligned with the sun, moon, and other celestial entities. An east-west baseline indicates that Monk's Mound, the largest and most centrally located of the structures, aligned perfectly with the sun on both the winter and summer solstices. Naturally, these are believed to have been accompanied by some sort of religious ceremony. Think something along the lines of what the ancient Britons did at Stonehenge. And speaking of Stonehenge, yet another monument, this one dubbed Woodhenge, also played a pivotal role in the solstices as well as the daily rising and setting of the sun in general. A series of three concentric rings comprised of standing wooden posts, each of which was erected at different stages. It stood to the west of Monk's Mound and was fashioned out of red cedar, a wood deemed sacred by the Mississippians and the only native evergreen genus in the region that's resistant to decay and disease. This monument's believed to have been used as a solar calendar, which would mark both the solstices and equinoxes and foretold, with stunning accuracy, religious observances as well as agricultural cycles. What did government and religion look like in Cahokia? From burial mounds that had been unearthed and excavated, the supreme authority was wielded by a king or chieftain. Under him were the priests, who naturally played an important role in everyday life as well as serving the religious and spiritual needs of the population. This was particularly important in Cahokia, which, as previously stated, is believed to have been a sacred site along with being a commercial center. One of the most important religious symbols for the Mississippians was the falcon, a bird that they equated with power and strength, which was also worshipped heavily by warriors, who, incidentally, were next in terms of importance following the priests. The weapons they used were the bow and arrow, as supported by the many arrowheads of varying shapes, styles, and materials unearthed in the area. Several copper artifacts have also been found, though this mineral wasn't used for weapons. Ceremonial masks, jewelry, specifically earrings, and, you guessed it, falcon-shaped plates were created by skilled artisans who would repeatedly heat and cool the metal as they worked it, a process known as annealing. Prior to 1050, Cahokia's population never exceeded more than about a thousand inhabitants, but thanks to the aforementioned medieval warming period and the agricultural boom that accompanied it, the 50-year period between 1050 and 1100 saw some truly unprecedented growth. The population exploded tenfold, going from some 1,000 individuals to anywhere between 10 and 15,000. This has been proven by recent archaeological excavations, which have revealed the remains of several agrarian villages that once stood on the outskirts of Cahokia proper. Much of of the city's population was confined to these suburbs, quote-unquote, and the people who lived there were tasked with harvesting the crops that kept the settlement fed. Corn, squash, beans, fish, venison, and other local and regional flora and fauna comprised the Mississippian diet, each of which were absolute staples. At its height in the 12th century, Cahokia's population reached its peak with a whopping 40,000 inhabitants. This number remained unsurpassed in America for some five centuries until 1780, when Philadelphia's own population exceeded that very same number. Even more impressive still is that historians now believe, based upon continued excavations and archaeological evidence, that Cahokia at its apex equaled or even surpassed London's population at the same time. So how then was it completely abandoned by the mid-14th century? 
There are a number of possible factors and theories, many of which are environmental. Pollution, overhunting, and deforestation are just a few of them. Pollution in particular is considered to have been a major culprit, as Cahokia purportedly had issues with waste management, causing local water supplies like the Mississippi, Missouri, and Illinois rivers to be clogged with litter and refuse. Climatic changes have also been proposed, with prolonged periods of rain followed by even longer periods of drought having been attested to through scientific studies of the region following the end of the medieval warming period. But other, more sinister factors may also have led to the settlement's eventual demise and abandonment. Economic woes and political infighting are believed to have sped up Cahokia's decline, with the people rising up in opposition against their leaders. Another, less likely proposal is that invasions from outside forces caused the city's population to flee, though there's little evidence of warfare to support this theory. At this point in time, the most likely culprits were environmental factors, such as the aforementioned periods of flooding, and or socio-political upheaval, which ultimately led to the city's demise. For three glorious centuries, Cahokia was America's greatest urban center, proof that the Mayans and Aztecs of Mexico and Mesoamerica weren't the only civilizations in North America creating highly sophisticated and striated societies. But then, much like the Mayans' mysterious end, the Mississippians simply up and left. Today, the Cahokia National Historic Landmark still lends visitors and archaeologists alike tantalizing clues into the circumstances behind the settlement's eventual downfall. It's without question that further research may soon yield more answers. Thanks for listening. This was a fun one for me, as I only just recently discovered the Cahokia Mounds myself, and the fascinating history that surrounds them. There are truly some remarkable historic and archaeological sites in America, if you know where to look. If you enjoyed discovering Cahokia and its environs with me, and would like to support other such journeys in the future, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany today and click the support button. You'll be redirected to three monthly support plans that fit your monetary needs and budget. This podcast is available on all major platforms, so please feel free to give me a listen and share. Tune in next week as we take a look at an unusual enclave of Jewish refugees in the Far East, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you then. Thank you.